Hello and welcome to the Hypochondriac's Almanac Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and I've got a great episode for you guys today. First and foremost, though, we need to get a couple little disclaimers out there. We are not doctors, nurses, or medical professionals of any kind, so please do not take what we say on the show as medical advice. If you have an issue, a medical condition, or a problem that you need assistance with, go see a doctor. Don't take what we say on the show as advice. All right, let's jump right into today's episode. We're going to start out with this Ramsey Hunt syndrome. And this is something that Justin Bieber recently brought into the headlines because of his partial facial paralysis. So what is Ramsey Hunt syndrome and is it permanent? What are the causes, symptoms, and treatments? Ramsey Hunt syndrome is the neurological condition that pop singer Justin Bieber was diagnosed with. The rare disorder caused him to cancel many of his tour dates until he recovers. Here is what you need to know about the rare neurological condition. What is it? Is it permanent? According to the Mayo Clinic, the syndrome occurs when a shingles outbreak infects the nerve in your head near the inner ear. In addition to the painful rash, the disorder can also cause hearing loss in the affected ear and facial paralysis. The same virus that causes chickenpox and shingles also causes Ramsey-Hunt syndrome, according to Mount Sinai Health Library. If caught early, treatment of Ramsey-Hunt syndrome can reduce the likelihood of permanent muscle weakness and hearing loss. What are the causes and symptoms of Ramsey-Hunt syndrome? Ramsey-Hunt syndrome is often in people who have had chicken pox. After these patients recover from the chicken pox, the virus stays in the body and can cause shingles outbreaks years later, including outbreaks like Ramsey-Hunt syndrome. According to the Mayo Clinic, symptoms of Ramsey-Hunt syndrome include the following. A painful red rash with blistering around the ear, facial paralysis on the same side as the affected ear, tinnitus or ringing in the ears, ear pain, hearing loss, difficulty closing one eye, vertigo, loss of taste, dry mouth, and eyes. Is treatment available for Ramsey-Hunt syndrome? What is the outlook for someone diagnosed with Ramsey-Hunt syndrome? There are several treatment options available for people diagnosed with Ramsey-Hunt syndrome. They include the following medications and treatments pain relievers, corticosteroids, anti-anxiety medications to relieve the vertigo, antiviral drugs to attack the virus, an eye patch to prevent cornea injury or other eye damage if the eye doesn't close, eye lubricant at night, and artificial tears during the day to prevent dry eye. According to Mount Sinai Medicine, if treatment is started within three days of symptoms starting, you have a better overall chance of recovering from this illness. Pretty scary indeed. If you suspect that you or someone you know has this, encourage them to go see a doctor right away because as I just mentioned, that three-day window is usually what is required to prevent long-term damage. Second American dies from rare tick-borne Hoasan virus. This article was written by Greg Gariozzi. A Connecticut woman has become the second American to die from a rare tick-borne virus, according to the state's Department of Public Health. The woman who died was in her 90s and died on May 17th after becoming infected with the Powassan virus due to a tick bite. She began showing symptoms including fever, headaches, chills, cognitive aberrations, nausea, and chest pains two weeks after the tick was removed. 
According to the DPH officials, the woman was hospitalized, but she eventually became unresponsive and remained that way for two weeks before she eventually succumbed to the virus. Officials with the U.S. Centers for Disease Control later confirmed she died as a result of the POWV infection. In April, the CDC in Maine announced the nation's first death this year from the virus. According to the state's Human Services Department, the person was an adult who developed neurologic symptoms and died while being treated in the hospital. The virus, thankfully, is rare. Only 25 cases were reported each year going back to 2015. However, the CDC notes that there are no vaccines or treatments available to effectively combat this virus. Though most people who become infected do not get sick, there is no way to treat the symptoms in the event that they do develop. The best way for individuals to combat the potential for illness is through prevention and understanding where they could become infected. Ticks tend to live in places like tall grasses or thick brush where they can latch onto creatures that pass through, generally deer and other wild animals, but also humans. Avoiding these areas can help prevent potential tick bites. Hikers, campers, and others who might find themselves in those environments should use FDA-approved tick repellent prior to their activities. Individuals who do spend time in tick habitats should regularly check themselves, their clothes, and their gear for these bugs immediately after they leave the habitat. If a tick is found, it should be removed as quickly as possible. If someone does find a tick on them and begins to experience any of the symptoms associated with POWV, they should seek medical help immediately. This incident reminds us that residents need to take actions to prevent tick bites now through the late fall, say doctors. DPH stresses the use of insect repellent this summer and avoiding high-risk areas like tall grass where ticks may be found. It's also important to carefully check for ticks after being outside, which can reduce the chance of you or your family members being infected with this dangerous virus. Also, folks, don't forget to check your pets. Oftentimes, they're out there in those thick grasses as well, and they need a periodic checkup. Next article. A man developed sudden amnesia after having sex with his wife, completely forgetting his own wedding anniversary party the day before. And this article was written by Dr. Katherine Schuster-Bruce. A man got amnesia 10 minutes after having afternoon sex with his wife. This temporarily wiped out his memory of the previous day, rendering him unable to retain new information, doctors have said. The 66-year-old man became distressed after he looked at his phone after sex one afternoon and saw the date and thought that he'd forgotten his own wedding anniversary, when in fact, he'd celebrated it with his wife and family the day before, say doctors from Limerick, Ireland. This case was published in the official journal of the Irish Medical Organization a few weeks back. The memory loss lasted for about an hour, with the man repeatedly questioning his wife and daughter over the events of the morning and the previous day, doctors said. The man, who was not identified in the case report, visited an emergency room and had a completely normal neurological examination by the time he got there, they said. Doctors diagnosed him with a transient global amnesia, or TGA. This is a benign condition that causes sudden short-term memory loss and the inability to form new memories. 
Any memory loss typically lasts four to six hours without the need for treatment, but can last up to 24 hours. The doctors who authored the report said repetitive questions and an inability to retain answers are key features of TGA. TGA can mimic other conditions like stroke, dementia, or epilepsy and may have implications for certain jobs, like pilots. Most cases have been reported in men aged between 50 and 70. We don't know exactly what causes TGA, but it has been linked to several activities, including physical exertion, immersion in cold or hot water, emotional stress, pain, and sex. The man in this case report had experienced the same phenomena seven years prior. TGA can happen to a person more than once, though exactly how often is not agreed upon. Wow, that's pretty interesting. Next article, aspirin no longer recommended to prevent first heart attack or stroke for most adults over the age of 60. This article was written by Dr. Chinese Ascoba. For years, doctors recommended people in their 50s start taking baby aspirin every day to protect against heart attacks and strokes. But in recent years, with new evidence of the possible harm of daily aspirin, health experts have shifted those recommendations. In major new guidance, an influential physician task force no longer recommends daily aspirin to prevent a first heart attack or stroke among people aged 60 and older. Meanwhile, the new guidance said people 40 to 59 should only take it if they have a high risk of cardiovascular disease and in consultation with a doctor. There is little benefit in continuing aspirin beyond the age of 75 years old, experts concluded. The new guidance comes from the United States Preventative Services Task Force, or USPSTF, an influential physician group that helps guide medical best practices. Heart disease and stroke are the leading causes of death in the United States, accounting for more than one in four deaths. While daily aspirin use has been shown to lower the chance of having a first heart attack or stroke, it can also increase the risk for bleeding in the brain, stomach, and intestines. Although the absolute risk of bleeding event is low, the risk increases with age. Based on current evidence, the task force recommends against people 60 and older starting to take aspirin to prevent a first heart attack or stroke. Task Force Vice Chair Dr. Michael Berry, Professor of Medicine at Massachusetts General Hospital, told ABC News, because the chance of internal bleeding increases with age, the potential harms of aspirin can cancel out the benefits of this age group. People who are 40 to 59 years old and don't have a history of, of cardiovascular disease but are at a higher risk may benefit from starting to take aspirin to prevent a first heart attack or stroke, says task member Dr. John Wong, the interim chief scientific officer and professor of medicine at Tufts Medical Center. It's important that they decide together with their healthcare professional if starting aspirin is right for them because the daily aspirin comes with possible serious harms. The use of daily aspirin does come with possible serious harms. It is important for the public to understand that for the vast majority of Americans without pre-existing heart disease, aspirin does not provide a net benefit. The harms are approximately equal to the benefits. The USPSTF is just catching up with this widely accepted scientific viewpoint. For nearly 20 years, the FDA has advised against routine use of aspirin for prevention in patients without heart disease.
the new recommendations were aimed at people who have not yet started taking daily aspirin. The panel of experts did not issue guidance for people who are already taking a daily aspirin, and the updated news does not necessarily mean people should stop taking it if it has been prescribed by a doctor. We want to emphasize that these recommendations are focused on starting aspirin to prevent a first heart attack or stroke. Anyone who already uses aspirin and has questions about it should speak with their healthcare professionals, say doctors. The new guidance does not change for people who have had a heart attack or stroke or other major cardiovascular issue. The recommendation for using aspirin to protect them for a second event remains strong. Recommendations on daily aspirin to prevent disease have shifted in recent years. In 2016, the Preventative Services Task Force recommended people in their 50s at risk for heart disease take baby aspirin to prevent both cardiovascular disease and colon cancer. But updated recommendations based on additional research found benefits may not outweigh the risks. Considering the best colon cancer prevention is routine screening beginning at the age of 45. Wow. Interesting stuff, indeed. Next article. A 25-year-old woman thought the decade-old tan streak on her nail was a bruise. It was actually a sign of rare skin cancer. Gabby Landsberg wrote this article. A 25-year-old woman had a mark under her nail for a decade that doctors said was a harmless mole, but it turned out to be a rare form of skin cancer. Maria Silvia shared the story in a series of TikTok videos, the first of which has so far been viewed more than 31 million times. Silvia had a tan streak that appeared under her nail in high school around 2012, and she assumed it was a bruise related to playing sports. A dermatologist said it was most likely a mole in her nail bed with approximately 1% chance that it might be cancer. They basically told me to wait and watch and see if it got darker or grew wider, she said. In late 2021, Sylvia said she had the mark rechecked with a coworker that suggested it looked similar to the signs of a cancerous condition, but even then she had to insist on a biopsy after another dermatologist wasn't concerned. The tan streak turned out to be a subungual melanoma, a form of skin cancer that develops in the nail bed of the fingers or toes. While uncommon, it can be difficult to identify and can be aggressive if left untreated, according to dermatologists. Sylvia's cancer was isolated to the nail bed, but it took two surgeries to remove it, and finding someone to treat the rare condition was a challenge, she said. While she won't be able to regrow a nail on her thumb and will require physical therapy to move it again, Sylvia said she was happy sharing her story to help others. I've had people reach out to me saying they're so grateful for me sharing this to promote awareness, she said. When spotted early, skin cancer is often treatable, including melanoma, which is a less common but more dangerous form, according to the Cleveland Clinic. However, it can be difficult to spot. Doing a thorough check involves scanning your whole body, including the toenails and bottoms of the feet. And even then, you might need an expert eye in case you miss something. A few cues that a skin mark may be suspicious include if it's asymmetrical, discolored compared to the surrounding skin and other moles, and changes over time. No one sign is proof of cancer, but since cancer cells develop irregularly, a patch of skin that isn't uniform may be a red flag and worth getting checked out. Experts at the Skin Cancer Foundation recommend getting checked at least once a year and more often if you have risk factors like fair skin, red hair, or spend a lot of time in the sun. And people, this is the time of the year. Wear that sunscreen, cover up that skin, don't put yourself at excess risk. 
Next article. Doctors found hundreds of tapeworms in a man's brain. Undercooked pork may be to blame. This article was written by Joshua Boat and originally came out in USA Today. A 46-year-old man who was hospitalized for epilepsy had hundreds of tapeworms in his brain, likely caused by eating undercooked pork. This is literally my worst nightmare, by the way. Doctors at the first affiliated hospital of College of Medicine performed an MRI on the man and found hundreds of tapeworms in his brain, according to CNN. The man, a construction worker who lives in the city of Wuhan but was not identified, was hospitalized for a recurring headache and seizures, according to a report issued November 2019 by the hospital located in Hangzhou. The man told doctors he had eaten hot pot, a boiling broth usually filled with assorted meats and vegetables with pork and mutton, which may not have been cooked thoroughly. In the report, the man told doctors that due to the ruddied color of the spicy broth, he wasn't able to tell if the meat was fully cooked. There are multiple presences of space-occupying lesions in the patient's brain, say the doctors. The lesions, according to the World Health Organization, occupy parts of the central nervous system, which can result in seizures and headaches. Further scans also found more tapeworms in his lungs and chest. The man has since recovered after doctors depressurized his skull and dewormed his brain, per the reports, though it is unclear if there are any long-term risks to his health. Neurocytocirrhosis comes from undercooked infected pork, according to the WHO, or World Health Organization. When pigs get infected with tapeworm eggs, usually pass on by the feces of an individual infected with tapeworms, it can pass on to humans when consumed, causing tapeworm eggs to fester in the brain. Once they hatch, they can stay there for two to three years if untreated, per the WHO. The organization notes that improved food safety practices and further meat inspection could reduce cases of tapeworm eggs in meat. Yikes. That is indeed terrifying. Next article. Heart problems can be detected in your voice, according to a new study. Sarah Napton wrote this article. When feeling anxious, nervous, or frightened, it is often said that your heart is in your mouth. Now, scientists have found that there may be some truth in this phrase. Researchers at the Mayo Clinic in the U.S. have discovered that when people are suffering from worrying heart problems, it can be detected in their voice. Although the vocal change is too subtle for humans to hear, scientists have created an artificial intelligent algorithm which can pick up the small speech differences. In a study of 108 people at risk of heart problems, nearly 6 in 10 who scored highly on the vocal risk score ended up in the hospital within two years, compared with just 3 out of 10 in those who had the lowest scores. High scorers were also 2.6 times more likely to suffer major problems associated with coronary artery disease and three times more likely to have plaque buildup in the heart's arteries than those with low scores. We can't hear those particular features ourselves, say the doctors. This technology is using machine learning to quantify something that isn't easily quantifiable for us using our human brains or our human ears. Researchers are hoping the technology could keep tabs on people remotely and flag those who are most at risk. Telemedicine is non-invasive, cost-effective, and effective, and has become increasingly important during the pandemic, say doctors. We're not suggesting that voice analysis could replace doctors. 
with existing methods of healthcare delivery, but we do think there's a huge opportunity for voice technology to act as an adjunct to existing strategies. Providing a voice sample is very intuitive and even enjoyable for most patients and could become a scalable means for us to enhance patient management. The study represents the first time voice analysis has been used to predict heart health. Researchers recruited 108 patients who had been referred from a coronary angiogram with x-ray imaging procedures used to assess the condition of the heart's arteries. Participants were asked to record three 30-second voice samples, one from a prepared text and the others talking about one negative and one positive experience. The vocal health algorithm that analyzed participants' voice samples noted traits like frequency, amplitude, pitch, and cadence and compared them to a training set of over 10,000 voice samples collected in Israel. The identified six features that were highly linked to coronary heart disease were minute fluctuations in the frequency band around 1,622 HZ. Over two years of follow-up, 58.3% of people with high scores visited hospitals for chest pain or suffered acute coronary syndrome, compared with 30.6% of those with low scores. Scientists are still uncertain why certain voice features seem to be indicative of coronary heart disease, but believe that autonomic nervous system may play a role. This part of the nervous system regulates bodily functions that are not under conscious control, which includes both the voice box and many aspects of the cardiovascular system, like heart rate and blood pressure. Autonomic nervous system disorders have also been previously linked to speech problems. It's definitely an exciting field, but there's still a lot of work to be done, say doctors and researchers. The study was presented at the American College of Cardiology's 71st Annual Scientific Session and published in the Mayo Clinic Proceedings. Next article. Staring at an image of yourself on Zoom has serious consequences for mental health, especially for women. Roxanne Feelig wrote this article along with Jamie Goldenberg. In the past few years, people across the world have spent more time on video chat programs like Zoom and FaceTime than ever before. These applications mimic in-person encounters by allowing users to see the people they are communicating with. But unlike in-person communications, these programs often also show users a video of themselves. Instead of catching the occasional glimpse of themselves in a mirror, now people are looking at themselves for hours a day. We are physiologists who study society's focus on women's appearance and the appearance of this constant scrutiny. We were immediately fascinated by the new dynamic created by the Zoom world. While critical for public safety during the pandemic, we believe that virtual classes, meetings, and the like lead to a continuous focus on one's own appearance. Something research suggests is harmful to mental health, especially for women. Objectification is a bit of a buzzword, but the meaning is rather literal, being seen or treated as an object. This often comes in the form of sexual objectification, where bodies and body parts are seen as separate from the person to which they are attached. Advertisements are rife with examples of this, where close-ups of certain body parts are often shown to help market a product, like a bottle of cologne graphically nestled between a woman's breasts. Not surprisingly, women's bodies are treated as objects way more often than men's. Because women and girls are socialized in a culture that prioritizes their appearance, they internalize the idea that they are objects. Consequently, women self-objectify, treating themselves as objects to be looked at. 
Researchers investigate self-objectification in experimental studies by having study participants focus on their appearance and then measure cognitive emotional behavioral or physiological outcomes. Research has shown that being near a mirror, taking a picture of oneself and feeling that one's appearance is being evaluated by others all increase self-objectification. When you log into a virtual meeting, you are essentially doing all of these things at once. So what does this self-objectification do? Thinking of yourself as an object can lead to changes in a person's behavior and physical awareness, and has also been shown to negatively affect mental health in a number of ways. While these experiences with self-objectification lead both women and men to focus on their appearance, women tend to face many more negative consequences as a result. Research suggests that experiencing self-objectification is cognitively taxing for women. In a seminal study done in 1998, researchers showed that when women put on a new swimsuit and viewed themselves in a mirror, the self-objectification this produced caused women to perform poorly on math problems. Men's math performance was not affected by this objectifying experience. Further, experiencing objectification has behavioral and physiological consequences. In the aforementioned study, trying on a swimsuit produced feelings of shame among women, which in turn led to restrained eating. Other research has shown that when women think of themselves as objects, they speak less in mixed gender groups. Self-objectification also leads women, in a sense, to distance themselves from their own bodies. This can cause worse motor performance, as well as difficulty recognizing one's own emotional and bodily states. One study showed that women who were prone to self-objectification were less physically coordinated than girls who showed less objectification. In a paper we published in 2021, our team showed that women who think of themselves as objects have difficulty recognizing their own body temperature. To test this, we asked women how cold they felt while standing outside nightclubs and bars on chilly nights. We found that the more a woman was focused on her appearance, the less connection there was between the amount of clothing she was wearing and how cold she felt. In some women, self-objectification can become the default way of thinking of themselves and navigating the world. High levels of this self-objectification can be associated with mental health consequences, including disordered eating, increased anxiety over one's appearance, and depression. While we're not aware of any research directly exploring the connection between video meetings and self-objectification, some recent studies suggest that our concerns are well-founded. One study found that the more time women were focused on their looks during video calls, the less satisfied they were with their appearance. Facial dissatisfaction also seems to play a role in Zoom fatigue, with women across all races reporting higher levels of Zoom fatigue than their male counterparts. For better or worse, the virtualization of daily life is here to stay. One way to reduce the negative effects of endless video meetings is to use the hide self view function during online interactions. This hides your image from yourself, but not from others. Turning off self view is easy to do and may help some people, but many others, including us, feel that this puts them at a disadvantage. This may be because being aware of your appearance has benefits. Despite the risk of self-objectification and the harm it brings, a huge body of research shows that looking attractive has a tangible social and economic benefit for women more so than for men. By monitoring your appearance, it's possible to anticipate how you will be evaluated and adjust accordingly. Therefore, we expect that people, especially women, will continue to keep the camera on for the duration of Zoom calls. 
A huge amount of previous research does suggest that Zoom calls are a perfect storm for self-objectification and that the harms disproportionately affect women. It seems that the already uneven playing field for women is exacerbated online in online social interactions. Any small reprieve from staring at a literal projection of yourself will be a net gain for your well-being, especially for women. Next article. Helen Mirren's stepson dies from a rare form of eye cancer. What is uveal melanoma? This article was written by Asima Kantorisk. Helen Mirren is in mourning following the death of her stepson, actor Rio Hackford. In a statement to People, Mirren and her husband Taylor Hackford revealed that the 51-year-old died from uveal melanoma, a very aggressive and rare form of eye cancer. His life showed us how to live in generosity and community, Mirren and Hackford said. He shared his life's journey with so many who now mourn him and at the same time celebrate their fortune in knowing him. The Oscar-winning actress and her husband ended their statement by encouraging everyone to be diligent about their eye health. We would beg everyone reading this to get their eyes tested at least once a year, which may save their loved ones from this cancer, they said. Albeit a rare form of cancer among the general population, doctors say it's important for everyone over the age of 40 to get a routine eye exam to catch the potentially fatal disease early. So what exactly is uveal melanoma? Also known as Interocular melanoma, it's a cancer that begins in the cells that make the dark colored pigment called melanin in the uvea of the eye. The uvea is the middle layer of the wall of the eye, which includes the iris. This type of eye cancer is typically a small tumor that grows slowly and can spread to other parts of the body. According to doctors, uveal melanoma is rare among the general population, but it is the most common type of eye cancer in adults. So who is at risk for uveal melanoma? There are a number of factors that can increase the risk of uveal melanoma. Age. People over the age of 50 are more likely to be diagnosed with uveal melanoma and the average age of diagnosis is 55. Race. The most common risk factor is a person's ethnicity. If you are a Caucasian, you are at a greater risk of developing this type of eye cancer. Medical history. People with certain medical conditions can be at higher risk of developing interocular melanoma, like having moles in the eye or pigmentation of the eye or skin around the eye. Family history. Eye cancer can be inherited through family history, but it is uncommon. If it is passed down, it may be due to a gene mutation. Signs and symptoms of uveal melanoma. People with uveal melanoma are often unaware of the condition because there can be no warning signs or symptoms of the condition. However, it is something that an optometrist and an ophthalmologist can diagnose and detect during an eye exam. That's why doctors stress it is crucial to go for annual checkups once you hit the age of 40 to 45 to catch the cancer in its early stages. The prognosis is much, much better if the tumor is caught early because we can then provide effective treatment and the risk of the tumor spreading elsewhere in the body becomes less. According to Columbia University's Department of Ophthalmology, once the tumor grows, it can cause visual symptoms, which include blurred vision, spots that drift in and out of your field of vision, a dark spot on the iris, or a change in the size and shape of the pupil. For those who have had visual symptoms, you should seek medical attention immediately, doctors advise. How is uveal melanoma treated? Uveal melanoma can spread to the eye or other parts of the body. 
At first, ophthalmologists may closely monitor the tumor, and if it's not growing, they may hold off on treatment until symptoms develop. However, the most common treatment is radiation therapy. The treatment very much depends on the size of the tumor and other factors, including the status of the other eye and the general health of the patient and the patient's age. According to the American Cancer Society, radiation can often save some vision in the eye and can preserve the eye structure, unlike surgery. While there are different forms of radiation, doctors say the most common and safest form of treatment is brachiotherapy or plaque therapy. This form of treatment involves placing radioactive material in the eye with the tumor and leaving it in place for about a week before it's removed. There are also several types of surgeries that are often used to treat uveal melanoma that may involve removing the tumor and surrounding tissue. If necessary, surgeons may need to remove the eye and the eyelid. Holy moly. Uveal melanoma prevention. When it comes to prevention, doctors say studies are inconclusive as to whether or not wearing sunglasses can help prevent eye cancer. However, the easiest way to ensure your overall eye health is to receive routine checkups with your ophthalmologist or optometrist. This is a very rare tumor, but it can happen. The message is to please go and get your eyes tested regularly by your local optometrist. And one final article, and this one is particularly timely considering the fact that most of us are drinking more than we ever have before. But here are six telltale physical traits of a heavy alcohol drinker according to experts, from brittle hair to skin botches. This article was written by Anna Medaris Miller. Clinical psychologist Gary Lynn Utter grew up in Kensington, Pennsylvania, one of Philadelphia's grittiest corners where her family ran a bar that opened at 7 a.m. and closed at 2 a.m. every day. As a girl there, Utter would catch big-bellied factory workers show up to steady their hand tremors before their shifts and then return at 3 p.m. and leave it closing. They'd come back the next day to rinse and repeat. Now a clinical psychologist who works with people with addictions, Utter knows that alcohol use disorder falls on a spectrum. While some people with it do look like those bar patrons, many look perfectly healthy. Others fall in between, acquiring some undesirable physical traits due to the way alcohol affects all organs of the body. Insider talked to Utter and other specialists about some telltale signs of alcohol misuse or abuse and how to change your patterns for better health and looks. Number one, you can develop wrinkles earlier in life. Alcohol is a diuretic, meaning that it causes your body to lose water, leading to dehydration. And dehydrated skin tends to sag and wrinkle, say doctors. I have patients who spent all this time getting Botox or plastic surgery and all this money on lotions, but the real problem is in their wine rack, say experts. Older looking skin can also be related to how the body detoxifies alcohol. I guess certain nutrients and antioxidants being sucked from your liver at the expense of your skin can cause it to look less than normal, right? Alcohol also disrupts sleep, and poor sleep saps your face of precious time to repair itself. It can also give you a reddish face. Utter recalls the men at her family's bar, fittingly named Utter Nonsense, sporting rosy faces. It's almost like the capillaries around the nose and the cheeks would start to burst, she said. That's common among alcohol users, say experts, as alcohol is an inflammatory. When skin gets inflamed, it produces a condition called rosacea. Rosacea is characterized by redness on the face and sometimes the ears, back, and chest, and it can also develop into acne-like bumps. 
among people with darker skin tones that can also present a stinging or burning insensitivity to topical products, as well as darker or dusky brown patches, say dermatologists. While some medications and creams can help treat the condition, in the case of alcohol abuse, they're a band-aid for the underlying trigger. Hair and nails can become very brittle. Dehydration also affects your skin and nails, leaving them brittle and cracked. Long-term heavy drinking can lead to hair thinning and loss, especially in people with malnourishment from consuming almost all of their calories through booze. The right amount of vitamins, minerals, proteins, fats, and carbohydrate are essential to a healthy scalp and head of hair, say the experts. You can also have stained or yellow teeth. When Annie Grace was drinking glasses, if not bottles of wine on a daily basis, she'd wake up with purple stains on her teeth. She'd bleach her teeth, but she could not keep up. It was just not pretty, Grace said in one of her videos from the 30-Day Alcohol Experiment, her program that helps people reevaluate their relationship with alcohol. Even if you're not a wine drinker, the acid in alcohol eats away at tooth enamel, allowing any color from beverages to adhere to the teeth, say doctors. Over time, heavy drinking can lead to more serious oral health problems like gum disease, tooth decay, mouth sores, and oral cancer. Your belly can be disproportionate to the rest of your body if you're drinking heavily. Beer drinkers aren't the only ones prone to beer bellies. Even diet-conscious alcoholic beverages like vodka sodas can lead to disproportionate belly weight if you drink enough of them. That's because alcohol in all its forms increases estrogen production and decreases testosterone production, which is linked to increased breast tissue and truncule obesity, which is fat around the middle, particularly in men. Compared to the fat just under the skin through the body, belly fat surrounds inner organs and is associated with a higher risk of serious conditions like heart disease, diabetes, and liver disease. You cannot exercise it off either. The problem isn't at the gym, it's at the fridge. As alcohol abuse progresses, the belly can become hard and distended and fluid buildup can be a sign of liver damage. Your skin gets a yellow tint. Jaundice or yellowish skin is also a sign of liver disease. It can occur when the liver can no longer filter out yellow-orange substances in the blood, causing it to show up in the skin, according to WebMD. In darker-skinned people, it may be more noticeable in the whites of the eyes. When you start to see that, that's a really serious issue, say doctors. If caught early enough, quitting drinking and other lifestyle changes can treat liver disease. If not, a liver transplant would be the only solution. Before alcohol misuse gets to that point though, seek help. It's okay if vanity leads you there. It doesn't really matter what does as long as you get help. I can talk about all the terrible physical effects of alcohol in terms of what it does to the liver, brain, and heart, say doctors, but the thing that gets people into treatment is that it causes you to look older. Medications, psychotherapy, inpatient and outpatient treatment, and even online communities geared towards gray area drinkers can help. Nonprofits like Smart Recovery are free and expert endorse routines to sobriety and organizations like Sunnyside and Alcohol Change UK support people in simply reducing their drinking. If you can have programs that get people into treatment at an earlier stage in their addiction, you can prevent a lot of really serious problems later on, say the experts. Okay, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can shoot us an email. We're at hypoalmapodcast at gmail.com. We love getting emails from you guys. We are also on social media at podcast.addict. And please join us again next time when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild medical cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe. 
keep it real and always live your very best life. Bye.